Hello and welcome to the Max Communications 2020 podcast, a series of podcasts where we explore various archives and collections. My name is Faith Williams and I'm joined today by Patricia Dark, archivist for the London Borough of Southwark. Would you like to introduce yourself, Patricia, and tell us how you came to be where you are? Ah, um, hi Faith. Um, my name's Patricia and as you might guess, I'm from that little known part of London called America. Um, <laughs> Basically, I got into the archive profession because I studied medieval history at university in the US and had so much fun, I decided that actually I'd rather um, study some more history than be a physician. Um, <laughs> came over to the UK originally in 1999 um, to do graduate work in history, where so I have a, a master's degree and a doctorate in history. And then rather than trying to get into academia, I actually visited um, Oxfordshire County's record, record office and was shown around by the then county archivist, Carl Boardman during an open day and just thought, oh my goodness, this is such an amazingly fun job. And did the archives course. Um, spent about 18 months at the University of Surrey um, organizing the personal papers of E.H. Shepard, the illustrator of Winnie the Pooh, and then um, got this job. So I've been working at Southwark since uh, the end of March of 2010, so not quite 10 and a half years. Oh gosh, so how do you spend an average day? Presumably that's kind of changed in the amount of time you've been there. It it has changed a lot and admittedly it's changed the most in the past six months because um, since March, well, since about April or May when I decided to move from my kitchen table to the squishy armchair in my sitting room, um, my average day is spent at my laptop <laughs> in the squishy armchair in my living room. But even if we were back in the search room, and a lot of archives are now reopening. Um, I didn't necessarily have an average day. And part of that is because um, part of my day would have been spent at the inquiry desk. So watching the search room, making sure that people didn't you know, steal things or um, accidentally rip things or set the place on fire, which wouldn't happen, but sometimes it's, <laughs> you know, that just in case sort of thing, um, helping researchers and fetching documents. So that's literally anyone who walks in the door. Um, you know, that could be anything. But I also answer most of the inquiries about publication of material from our collection um, because I'm the person who would draw up the license. Um, I do a lot of work in terms of acquiring new collections, much less actual cataloging of collections than I'd like to do. Um, and I also am the person who would be sort of overseeing our offsite storage. But I'm also head of service for um, the Burroughs Archive, so I've got a sort of bigger strategic oversight roles. So I spend a fair lot of time in meetings 
Um, so that might be major projects like um, the new library and heritage center that Southwark is building on Walworth Road. Um, and one that's come up since June is Southwark Stands Together, which is the council's anti-racism initiative. Um, but I'm also involved in the London Archives Partnership, which is a London Council's um, overseen group of all of the local authority archivists in London and the chief archivists and local government group for the Archives and Records Association. Um, the ARA is the Professional Association for Archivists, cura uh, Conservators and Records Managers. Um, and CALG is a group of, you know, heads of service from all over England and Wales. Um, most of which are county record offices, which is quite interesting when I'm looking at it from the point of view of a much smaller service. You've given us sort of an idea of, um, of, of how big your, your material is. Um, how many are in your team? Um, there's currently three of us. Okay. We, we are hopefully um, going to be recruiting, well, we are recruiting. I literally pulled the trigger last week. Um, we're recruiting for another member of staff, but there's four of us. Um, which means it's it's quite small and it's quite jolly um but there can be an awful lot of work yeah how how many items do you have roughly do you do you know oh golly um no i mean we've got about 200 films and maybe 10,000 photographs plus the boxes that are in the back plus several probably several hundred if not thousand things like rape books and minutes and stuff and then hundreds and hundreds of boxes <laughs> it's it's a really interesting collection what type of material is in it then um in in terms of the very big picture it's it's a game of two halves because we're the local authorities archive so about half of our collection is literally the records of the local authorities. So the London Borough of Southwark, which was created in 1965, and also its predecessors. So three um, metropolitan boroughs, Bermondsey, Camberwell, and Southwark, which were created in 1900. And also the 10 civil parishes that were units of local, not just sort of churches, but also units of local government up until 1900. But we also, um, our collecting remit covers the geographic area of the London Borough of Southwark. So any person or organization that's based there, um, if they don't have their own archive, we would take in their records. So that's you know, local businesses and charities, um, various types of religious institutions, trade unions, political parties, landed estates, um, and, and family and personal records. So in terms of what it physically is, we've got lots and lots of big, heavy Victorian books. Um, like if you've ever seen the A Muppet Christmas Carol, 
the, mm -hmm. the giant ledgers that the rats are carrying um, in Scrooge's counting house. We've got lots and lots and lots of those um, parish and metropolitan borough minutes and rate books and, and uh, financial ledgers from business and charities. Um, but we've also got lots of film because the Metropolitan Borough of Bermondsey was actually a pioneer in terms of making public information films. Um, like I said, 20,000 20, some odd, probably more of photographs, um, hours of oral history. Um, in terms of the, the content, so what you can find, it's, it's a mix as well, um, because minutes and, and rate books can be extremely interesting or excruciatingly dull. Um, but we also have records like civil defense, the slips that are being passed between the air raid warden on site at a, um, an air raid event, like literally when a bomb dropped somewhere in around sort of Elephant Castle in Walworth. Um, we, we have these slips that are being passed to control that are sort of from there's been a bomb dropped on say Newington Causeway, send an ambulance, send the gas company, there's a water main broken down to this event has now ended. Like literally a minute by minute account of what is going on. Um, but other, other of our records are incredibly interesting. Um, the Metropolitan Borough of Bermondsey was extremely progressive during the interwar period. Um, it was run by labor for about 20 years and the borough created its own miniature NHS um, that sent tuberculosis patients to Switzerland for treatment um, and built parks and houses. And we've got records of that. Um, the Pioneer Health Center in Peckham was, was really pioneering as well um, in terms of working out how things around health affect people's health. So basically the Pioneer Health Center was, we would think of it like a giant leisure center. Um, it, it was space and communal facilities like a gym and a pool, um, but everything was in the control of the people it, it was also a members club. So the members of the club had control of that space. And they did a lot of really interesting research on how being able to keep fit and do what you want to do positively affects your health. Um, we've also got the records of Clubland, which was a pioneering, I use that word a lot, but it is true, um, youth club in Walworth which is actually where Michael Caine got his start in acting. Mm -hmm. um, we have pictures of his very first role as a robot in RUR, <laughs> which is great. Um, and the Crutchley Collection, which is a, an 18th century set of business documents that I'll talk about a bit later. Because um, it's sort of it's a really, I mean, all London boroughs are going to say this, but it's a really rich cultural borough. It's Shakespeare's borough, you know, it's got the Globe, you've got Brunel's Tarnoff in, in Bermondsey, Rotherhide area. It's, it's, yeah. it's just full of historical events. Don't, don't forget Charles Dickens. Uh, oh, of course, fact, how could I? <laughs> in fact, the John Harvard Library, which is where the search room 
is based um, is built more or less on the site of the Marshalsea prison. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which is amazing. Um, yeah, the, the, there's an alley just to the side of the library and the wall along that alleyway is the last surviving bit of the Marshall Sea, um, which is great. Less great, they had to do a whole bunch of emergency shoring up work. Uh, last year or the year before, time has all gotten a bit slippery, um, which made it a bit, made that alleyway impassable for a while. But it's, it's really neat sort of being ground, literally grounded in history. Yeah, walk in the same street with all these um, exactly. icons. Yeah. Who accesses your collection then and, and what are they looking for? It's in, in the same way that our collection is sort of this enormous variety of stuff. We have a huge variety of people um, who come in and look at it. Most of our users are researching either the history of their family or the history of a building, which people who are researching buildings, upwards of 90% of the time, the building they're interested in is their own house. Um, so they would be using a lot of our rate books, um, census records that we, we don't hold, but we can make available online. Um, and electoral registers, you know, the, the things that tie a person to a very specific place. Um, we've had a few people come in um, researching the history of the building that their business is in. Um, and fairly reliably, we will have people asking for pictures of the building that their business is in that they are going to put up on the walls of their business, which is mm -hmm. quite cool. Um, we've got probably because of the fact that Elephant and Castle is in um, Southwark. We've, we also get a fair whack of people coming in who are interested in researching sort of urban planning and urban development. And sometimes those are council employees or employees of a developer. Sometimes those are locals on the other side of current development and in a fair number of cases it's academics either students of various at various levels or um sort of you know paid up urban planning academics uh, we had one bloke come in who uh managed to accidentally offend me when he told me what his phd was on because he was researching urban decay and was looking at Pripyat, which is the city that was abandoned after the Chernobyl disaster. And somewhere, I think he was looking at the Elephant and Castle, and I can't, don't think it was necessarily in the context of urban decay, um, and Detroit, <laughs> which um, I'm from Michigan, <laughs> which is where Detroit is. So I was sort of vicariously offended. <laughs> I'm from the other side of the state than Detroit, but it was- That's not the point though, is it? <laughs> That's not the point. It's sort of, you're looking up, what? <laughs> so I ribbed him a little bit. Um, but we also have other people that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Um, one of the more interesting to me 
and, and sort of personally gratifying, I guess, is that um, we've had police officers come in um, who are looking at historic cases, cold cases, and came in um, looking for electoral registers. And in fact, I think one, one particular time we had a police constable come in um, who was interested in looking at old newspapers on microfilm and he mentioned that he needed to find a historic address and I told him we've got the electoral registers and I wound up having to heft 85 electoral registers um, which is an awful lot of very heavy books but he told me that the, the information they'd found in the archive had already helped um, prosecute and convict um, at least one person wow. for historic crimes, which that was a, that was a great day. Like that really was. Um, the other ones that stick out in my mind are um, the Lambeth slavery trial, which I think was about 2015. Um, and basically to sum it up, um, a couple, mostly the husband, um, kept three women um, in his house for something like 30 years and they'd been interested, most of them were interested in Marxism basically in the 1970s and it went from a fringe political party or political group to a flat out cult and about one one woman was actually born in this house and never left and eventually in i think 2013 um she escaped and he got prosecuted and we had dozens of journalists for about two weeks coming in to to look at old newspapers on microfilm as background on this court case to the point where we had to send them um, to other, <laughs> other borough archives in London that held that particular newspaper. Um, and the other one was a lady coming in um, who was a specialist researcher in insurance. And basically she was looking for information that would allow somebody to claim um, compensation for asbestosis. And she, it, it took us most of the day because the collection wasn't very well, it, partly the collection wasn't very well cataloged and partly we had no idea what information she needed to be able to, you know, make the link that she needed to make. And basically at the end of the day, she found exactly what she needed and was absolutely gobsmacked that I charged her 40p for two copies because <laughs> she was expecting to spend about 20 times that much money. See, you're fighting for justice. That's what you do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's a very wide range of people you're helping, but are there any other particular challenges that come with managing your archive? Yeah, I mean, all archives are going to have, uh, you know, uh, uh, the challenges of, of existing on a small budget mm -hmm. and 
how do we how do we make this stuff available and keep it safe as close to forever as we possibly can with a finite amount of storage and a finite amount of money? Um, you know, how do you make those choices? Um, and most archives, I think, have the challenge of letting people know that we exist. Um, working in a local authority, um, we do have some challenges that are, are quite interesting because the council quite rightfully is sort of geared to political operations. Um, and that, that is as it should be, but the, the sort of restriction that comes from the council is a political beast um, can be quite challenging when archives want to go out and proactively talk to their community and proactively collect records before it becomes an issue. Um, and, and that was in, that was quite challenging during lockdown as well, because everybody was sort of overwhelmed with the initial, um, stress of how do we tell people the information that we need to know and then all of all of the archive sector basically went but but this is historic and we need to collect this um so that took a while to sort of put all those pieces into place but we got there in the end um and sort of more generally we're in this weird position where we are and are not seen as the council, um, which is a privileged position, but it's a position that can make it a bit difficult, it's not quite the right word, but we do have a balancing act that we need to strike, I guess. Um, and then we have the challenges that are due to COVID, which none of us foresaw. But I mean, at the moment, our search room isn't open. Um, and so getting people access, but we can't just say, oh, the search room's shut. You're just going to have to deal. We have to bring the collections out to the community um, and figuring out how to do that in the digital world um, has been a really big and, and really interesting challenge. And the other challenge we're going to have, um, because a fair proportion of our user base in the search room are actually people over 65, um, who we may not see for a while um, because COVID is still out there. Yeah. even even once we reopen um, is is figuring out how to connect those people with the collections outside of the digital realm and one of my colleagues is working on um, reminiscence boxes that we can loan out so watch this space basically so the the future you think is not necessarily going to be digital you're just going to find more ways of 
engaging people off-site, as it were? Yeah, I mean, I think part, the, uh, the future is going to be increasingly digital. I don't think it will ever be completely digital because there is, no matter how good a reproduction, some people are always going to need to see the original for various reasons. And there's also just nothing like being able to touch something that has your history in it whether you know something that that lets you connect yourself to the bigger picture of your family through time or your favorite hobby through time or you know the place where you live through time but it's about balancing that and giving people more options because for for us as for a lot of archives um before covid mo if you wanted to interact with our collections I'll, uh, most of the time you had to physically walk through the door one of the that i'd love to do is make it see is you sit down at your computer or your iPad or your phone and you interact with the material that way. Okay. Um, you're still collecting, as you mentioned yeah. earlier. I heard that you got a donation of was it architectural drawings or something that someone was put on the side of the road for the bin men to collect. Is that true? Yeah, I was on holiday. <laughs> so I came back to, have you seen Twitter? Um, there are some gorgeous drawings in that. And it all had a happy, it, it had a, a happy ending in that they got to us um, and we have them and they are safe. Um, but an awful lot of our um, collections actually come to us because whether they are um, council records or external records like those come to us because somebody realizes that gosh this might be important and maybe I should save it um, including one of it, actually my two favorite collections are that way um, one of them is the Pat Brown papers, which are the, the personal writings of this lady from Peckham. You know, not, not Im important, and you can't see it, but I'm doing air quotes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she's not famous. Um, she's just a lady who spent almost her entire life in Peckham and, um, they are an absolutely brilliant view into what it was like to be this lady and what it was like to live in Peckham from the, the 1960s to the 1980s. And we have them because a friend of hers um, said, I've got this book full of her writing that she gave to me 
and I'm downsizing and I don't want to throw it away, but I don't like, I don't have the room for it either. Would you like it? And I said, yes. The other is um, the Crutchley collection, which I did say I'd talk more about later. Um, that is a collection of business records um, from an 18th century dyeing firm. It's, they, they run from about 1720 to about 1760 or 1780 um, that was based in Clink Street. So just, just to one side of Borough Market up by the river, L less than half a mile away from the search room. Um, and those were donated to us by a member of, well, uh, the widow of a descendant of the family in 2011. And she came in and said, I've offered these to the, the VNA and they don't want them. Would you like them? Yes, please. And it wasn't until about three-ish years later that Anita Key, um, who is an academic at the University of Glasgow, uh, turned up and said, I hear you've got some dying records. Can I take a look at them? And she, I said, yeah, sure. Okay. And got them out for her. And she went from sort of, may I please see these, to literally dancing around our search room desk in the space of about half an hour. Um, <laughs> because it turns out that our collection of dying records um, have very detailed instructions about how to dye a piece of a particular kind of cloth, a particular color, down to um, you need to use salt water for this, or you need to use well water, or you need to use water from the river. And in the 18th century, um, there weren't artificial dyes. Everything was plant-based. So basically you were creating a giant cauldron of herbal tea and dunking like a whole, whole like sheep worth of wool into it. And we have, um, so we have records that are these very detailed recipes, but they also have dyed fabric samples attached to them, wow. which means that Anita and her colleagues, uh, Dominique Cardon, and Jenny Balfour-Paul can take a tiny little sample and analyze the chemicals in that sample to show that all of these recipes do what they say they'll do. Yeah, they're, they're, it's amazing. There's a record full of payments. So we, we actually have a payment showing a woman buying cloth from the Crutchleys, which is, I've been told, um, because I'm not a, a, an expert in 18th century textiles, mm -hmm. is really unusual, all the way out to the East India Company is spending 2,000 pounds on red cloth, I guess, for their military uniforms. Mm -hmm. And 2,000 pounds is the equivalent of hundreds of thousands, if not like a million quid nowadays. 
you know, some of the dyeing books are actually dyed red. They were actually being used in the dye house. They're just mind-blowing. And they're pretty much unique anywhere in the world in how they tie an industry and people and places together. I mean, it's, it's this amazing view into not just a business, but also an industry because in the early to mid 19th century, um, chemists discover aniline dyes. Um, so modern artificial dyes. And once they do that, those dyes are a lot easier to use and a lot more color fast. So all of these business records for natural dyeing, just people don't keep them anymore. Um, but we have this collection and so we, we actually got it inscribed in the UNESCO UK Memory of the World Register um, in June of this year, which is basically saying these are one of the most important records in the country to understand this time, this place, this industry. Um, which is that that made not quite my year, but it, it certainly made my lockdown. Oh, for sure. That's an incredible achievement. How lucky that you managed to get a hold of those. Exactly. And we wouldn't have them if Annie Crutchley hadn't said these are important, they should be held somewhere. And I'm sure lots of people have um, photos or drawings or, you know, if you've been making masks or PPE, um, the patterns for that, you might not think they're important, but, you know, this, this period in history is almost unprecedented. Mm. And all of those records are going to be really, really important to explain, you know, how, how we lived life, you know, sitting in our houses for months on end. And even just to prove that we did it. Um, so if, if you've got that stuff out there and you're in Southwark, please do get in touch with us. And if you're not in Southwark, please get in touch with your local archive. And if you've had a clear out during lockdown and you found some stuff, definitely oh, yeah. if it's of interest to anyone. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know any archivist who wouldn't be willing. I mean, nowadays we, we do have the problem of, of how do we physically get stuff into the archive from other people, but you know, no archivist I know um, would be unwilling to read an email that says, I found this stuff while I was having a clear out of my attic and is this important? And what can I do about it? So you're still available by email. So yeah. um, do that online. Obviously your, your location, your reading room at the John Harvard is closed for the meantime. Um, what's the news on the heritage site you've got being um, set up at Walworth? That, then? that is, um, as far as I know, that is set to open in December. Um, and that's... <laughs> Going, that's you know chugging along 
brilliantly. Hopefully we'll be yes. back on our feet then. Um, but I do recommend that people check out the Borough films, but they're just a huge variety and, and a, from quite a while ago as well. Yeah. Um, the oldest film in our collection is from the 1890s, I think. Um, and the most recent one, if we don't have film that people took in lockdown, it'll be from last year. Um, those are available on YouTube. Oh, okay. On uh, London Screen Archives uh, YouTube channel. We have a playlist. Wow. And yeah, we also have a blog at uh, southerkheritage.wordpress.com. Perfect. So if you're interested in in learning a bit more about the Crutchley collection um, or Southwark's ties to the Empire Windrush or our film collection, um, you can read about it on our blog. Well, I will definitely be checking out the Crutchley collection. That sounds absolutely amazing. Um, and I look forward to hearing more about your crime-fighting research. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today, Patricia. You're, you're very welcome, Faith. Thank it's you for having me. hearing about your uh, wealth of knowledge. It's fantastic. Thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs>